have your Bible, if, if we're going to minister out of Gen- uh, Gen- Jeremiah 35 this evening. Jeremiah 35. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. Uh, New Year's is just a couple of days away, and um, I saw an article, uh, and it made me think again, you know, they tell you that New Year's Day is a very good day to test your smoke detectors and change your batteries. And what's interesting is some people have smoke detectors and when they were maybe cooking some steak or something that smoked up the house, they just simply remove the battery and never put it back in. And you have one on your ceiling and you think it works, but it it really doesn't because you've disconnected. And so they say, you know what, New Year's Day is a good day to test things like that because... Of course, New Year's Day comes around once a year. It's always good to change the battery and such. It's good to test things from time to time. God does not mind testing his people from time to time. Doesn't bother him at all. In fact, we're going to read the story of the test of the Rechabites. When I was in Lithuania, I think I've shared this story before, but I had to get a driver's license, a Lithuanian driver's license. I had been driving for 20 years, and I had to take the test again. Not the road test, just the written test. And the drag was the first time I failed it. And the reason I failed it was because some of the answers were not just, I would read the answer and go, oh, A is right, click A. That was right, but also B and D were right. And I didn't know it was multiple choice. I'm sure it said it somewhere in Lithuanian, but I didn't really, you know, speak the whole language or read it then at all, really. And so I couldn't, I didn't know that it was multiple choice. My translator didn't pick that up. And so I missed that. My wife passed on the first try, but that's because her translator, who was my translator and knew that, took the test for her. And the, the guy's even standing over at, at the last time saying, you could at least let her answer the last question. And she, he just answered it anyway, and she got her license. We got it. But 20 years of driving, I had to be retested on the laws. And some of the laws and some of the signs are very different than we're used to. In the text we're going to read, God is setting the Rechabites up for a test. He's going to test them to see where their hearts are at. And God will test us to see where our hearts are. And it's good to know and understand this. Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah 35, verse 1. We're going to read all 19 verses. It does move very quick because it is a story. And it says, this is the message of the Lord. Gave Jeremiah when uh, Jericham, the son of Josiah, was king of Judah. Go to the settlement where the family of the Rechabites live and invite them to the Lord's temple. Take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them some wine. So I went and saw Jezemiah, the son of Jeremiah, the grandson of his grandfather and all his brothers and sons, representing the Rechabites family. And I took them to the temple and I went into the room assigned to the son of Hanan, the, the son of someone, the man of God, who was located next to the, uh, located 
next to the one used by the temple officials. Directly above the room of Messiah, the son of his dad, the temple gatekeeper. Don't you love these names? But anyway. I, the official, directed above the room and, uh, and, uh, of the temple gatekeeper. And I set up cups of wine and ju- I set up cups and jugs of wine before them and invited them to drink. But they refused. No, they said. We will not drink because our ancestor, Jerohoadab, the son of Rech, commanded us, saying, Your descendants shall uh, must never drink wine, nor do they build houses or plant crops or vineyards, but always live in tents. And you will follow these commandments, and you will live long and good in the land. So we have obeyed him in all these things. We have never drunk wine to this day, nor have our wives, our sons, or our daughters. We have built houses. Uh, we, we haven't built houses or owned vineyards or farms or planted crops. We have lived in tents and fully obeyed the commandments uh, of Jehovah, our ancestor. And when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked this country, we were afraid and of the Babylonians and the Syrian army. So we decided to move to Jerusalem, and that's why we are here. And the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah, this is to Judah and Jerusalem, come and learn the lesson and see how, the, uh, see how to obey me. The Rechabites do not drink wine to this day because their ancestor, Jenehoadab, told them not to. I have spoken to you again and again, but you refuse to obey me. Time after time, I sent prophets who told you, Turn from your wicked ways and start doing right. Stop worshiping other gods so that you might live in peace in the land that I have given to you and your ancestors, but you would not listen to me nor obey me. The descendants of Joadah, the son of Rech, have obeyed their ancestor completely, but you have refused to listen to me. Therefore, what the Lord, what the Lord God of heaven's armies and the God of Israel says, because you have refused to listen, or answer, I will call, and I will send Judah and Jerusalem all the disaster I have threatened. Then Jeremiah turned to the Rechabites and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed your ancestor, uh, Jenoboadad, and have respected and followed all his instructions. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Jenehoadab, uh, the son of Rech, will always have a descendant who serves me. I want to talk to you firstly about the Rechabites and who they are. This is a promise that they made. Their great-great-great-grandfather, or maybe even further, had made a promise and said, there's going to be a couple things we're going to do. You read this in verses 6 and 7. It says, we're not going to drink wine. We're not going to plant vineyards. We're not going to live in built houses. Now, thank God that, you know, this is not for everybody, right? You can live in a built house. I'm glad in Rochester we live in built houses. I'd hate to be in a tent right now, especially over the weekend. But the thought here in the symbol is that they're not going to settle. One commentator said wine is a symbol of a settled life because it requires time for growth and care in its cultivation. 
While it is prepared, uh, the preparation of wine itself requires buildings. They have to be stored up before the wine is ready. The drink of the nomads considered of milk of the herbs. So here, this is the thought there is they're not going to settle. This is the promise that their father said, their great, great grandfather had said, don't settle. The tragic reality is too many people settle for far less. We'll get to that in just a moment. The warning is, God will know your hearts. And when your hearts become settled, you lose out. Even though their circumstances have changed. How many know some people think, I made a promise to God, but my circumstances have changed. In our text, it says that, uh, that uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in verse uh, 13, 11 says that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had attacked the country uh, and they probably lived uh, in the northern part of the country with the ten tribes to the north. They had probably been of one of those tribes. The Rechabites is not a tribe of Israel. It was, it's a descendant of one of the ten tribes to the north. But as ne- King Nebuchadnezzar, he is conquering everything. He is just, he's taking out all of the land. He's conquered the tribes to the north. And it's believed that then the Rechabites went, you know what, we can't stay here. Let's go to Jerusalem. So their circumstances have changed. Their location has changed. A lot of people think, oh, I have made a promise to God, but you know what? My circumstances have changed. If I still had the same circumstances, I could serve God. But don't you know, things have changed. The other thing that we see with the Rechabites is that they were responding to their ancestor, Johabadad. Now this is very interesting because you read about him in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15, it says, when Jehu left from there, he met Johanadab, the son of Rech, who was coming to meet him. And after they had greeted each other, he said, are you loyal to me as I am to you? And Johabadad said, yes, uh, and indeed. And so Jehu gave him his hand and they came up on the chariot and they rode in together. That's 300 years before Jeremiah. 300 years. He made a vow. Now, we don't know exactly when. The Bible doesn't record when he made this vow. But he said, we're not going to live in houses. We're not going to plant barns. and We're not going to drink wine. And 300 years. Years later, I know people make a vow and they walk out the door and they forget it. They've made decisions for God. They've made commitments to God and they said, God, I'm going to do, I'm going to be, I'm going to go, I'm going to give, I'm going to do. And they walk out the door and it's like it never happened. 300 years have gone by. And they're still faithful to this. And then the fascinating part of this. Now, God is speaking to Israel. I get that. 
God is using them as an example to speak to a backslidden nation who is about to be invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and how the king and all that are involved are not responding well and they're not, they're not doing well. But you can't miss the fact that the Rechabites were being personally tested. In verse 1, The message of the Lord came to Jeremiah, verse 2, go to the settlement where the Rechabites live and invite them into the Lord's temple, take them into one of the inner rooms and offer them some wine. You know, God will test you. Now, what God won't do is tempt you. Now, some people would say, well, he's offering them wine. Isn't that a sin? Wine was different in that day. When we get to our exampleship in our Sunday evening services on ministry standards, you might not be able to find verse and chapter that tells me that wine is a sin, but I can tell you it's a lot easier helping an alcoholic without a beer in your hand. He offers them, but this is not not to sin. James 1.13, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempting you to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. God doesn't tempt people, but he does test you. He does not mind testing you. To find out what's in your heart. Sometimes I believe that God is not just, he already knows what's there. He has to do this to show you what is in there. How really the issue isn't the circumstances or the time or someone else made the promise. It's the issue is your heart. Paul writes, the apostle in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, For we speak as a message approved, as messengers rather, approved by God, to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines, some translations say tests, the motive of our heart. Not just even what you do. Why are you doing it? Why do you sing on the platform? Or play an instrument? Or usher? Or sound? Or act? Or whatever? God not only wants to know what you're doing, He's going to test your motives. Why are you doing it? Are you really doing it for Him? Or are you doing it for another reason. Genesis 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Genesis 22 is when he's going to tell him to take Isaac to the Mount of Moriah and this is going to be a couple of day journey and he's going to take him and he's going to offer him up and God is going to test his faith. God will test 
you and I. God will ask us for things. God will see if what you're really doing is for the right reason. Come in. Have some wine. It's all set up there. They're in the temple. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Proverbs 17, verse 3. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God will set you up for tests. The interesting thing to me is this takes place in the temple. This isn't on the street. This isn't in a back corner. This isn't in a side alley. This isn't, you know, in an upper room at three in the morning. This is in the house of God. Isn't that fascinating? God calls them to the house of God to to test them. God will bring you to church to test you. When I worked at a place called ORE, Ocean Research Equipment, on Cape Cod, part of my job was pressure testing. We, uh, we made products that went way deep underwater, that, uh, some that would measure the flow of water so they were constant in water. And there's two kinds of flow, or two kinds of pressure, and that's a whole other sermon, but there's the pressure of depth, and there's the pressure of flow. And so, you know, uh, if you have a river that runs, it, you know, there's pressure against anything in that river, even though you're only in a couple of feet of water, but you go way down in the ocean, thousands of feet, and there's severe pressure. And so we would have to test these. But what was very interesting is I would put them in tanks and we would crank them up, high, high pressure. You know, it's 2.2 pounds of pressure per foot under the water. And I had all the formulas and I had to do 3,000, I'd convert meters to, you know, to feet and all these kinds of things and had to get all of that down to get the PSI right. And I would have this tank and I would crank it up. And when I would do 10,000 pounds of pressure, we actually had to call the city because when we unlocked that tank and shot it into to drain, it would suck all the toilets dry in the city. And everybody would come home from work and they'd be like, no water in my toilet. <laughs> What's going on? And so we'd have to tell the city so that when they got a hundred calls, they would know why. But the very other interesting other thing is that after the pressure test, We would also soak them in four inches of water. Because it was amazing how many things under pressure tightened up. But when there was no pressure, they leaked like a sieve. An in-house failure was always cheaper and easier to fix than an infield. God brings us into his house to test us. God is testing hearts right now. He wants to know if there's a problem. Acts chapter 5 is a fascinating chapter to me. A man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, decide they're going to give an offering. And in chapter 4, you read at the end, there's some persecution, but there's also generosity. Let me tell you, there's good things happening, and there's bad things happening. 
There's good people, and there's rebels. That's a church. Just saying. And as they're in there, there's a couple comes in, and they're going to try to get notoriety. They've sold a piece of land. They're going to give uh, money to it. They're very excited about this. This is kind of a, a thing that's going on in the church. We had read about uh, a guy named Joseph, uh, or Joseph, uh, who they nicknamed Barabbas, uh, Barnabas rather. And Barnabas is, uh, uh, he goes and touches all the apostles' lives and every author of the book in the Bible. He's probably had some kind of influence on in, in the New Testament and just a powerful man of God. But in walk Ananias and Sapphira, and they get more than they want, so they're going to keep some of it back. But tell everybody they gave it all in the house of God. And Peter asks them, Ananias, why has, have you left? let Satan fill your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back some of the money for yourself. And he goes on to explain, you could have done that just been honest, but because you weren't being honest, God killed him in church. A couple hours later, his wife shows up with no idea. There's no, you know, that didn't get posted to Facebook because Facebook wasn't there in the first century. And so they had no, she had no idea, walks in, she lies, she dies. Now that's an extreme test. But I use that test specifically because that happened in the house of God. That God tests hearts when we come together. God was making an over-the-top statement with Ananias and Sapphira. Don't do that. Don't mess with my work. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is his church. Don't mess. Don't mess. No mess. But he's testing hearts. He doesn't mind doing that in the house of God. They bring them into an upper chamber. They put them in a special room. Put the wine before them. Put cups out. We're going to have coffee and cups. and so It'd be just like that. Hey! Because God wants to know what is your personal conviction. He set the cups, the wine, said drink, and they said, no. We don't do that. Not our church doesn't, says that's not a good idea, I shouldn't do that. Don't let pastor know. Don't let the others know. I'm, I'm gonna, he doesn't say that. Says, no, I, we don't do I don't do this. We don't do this. Personal convictions. One man said these words, Jesus sometimes tests us in order to teach us. Some people, they have personal convictions. And some personal convictions aren't for everybody. I have some personal convictions that aren't standards, aren't Forced. I couldn't say if you don't do these or if you do do those or you're a bad person. Just personal convictions. Righteousness. This is what they're contending for. 
They didn't let circumstances, time, or location change their personal convictions. Do you let time, circumstances, or location change your decision? Praise the Lord at 1101 Clover Street. But when I'm out, I'll curse the name of the Lord. Do what the world does. Say what the world wants. Is that what it is? The the Rechabites, they pass. They pass the test. Jeremiah says, or they say, we have obeyed our father in all things. We've never drunk wine to this day, nor have our wives, our sons, or our daughters. They were not going to let circumstances change. When God tests us, will we pass? James 1, 3 and 4 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let us grow. So when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. There's an advantage. There's something about when you do that. Peter writes it this way. 1 Peter 1.7 And these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials. And it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There's something about that happens inside us. That when you say no the first time, it's easier to say no the second time. Or when you say yes the first time. Let me give you one example. There's people say, I'm going to be on outreach. Why? You know, preaching on prayer, outreach, you can get like the immediate response. People will show up the next week, show up to the next prayer meeting. But it's not a conviction. It's like a duty. But when you say yes, one time it begins to be easier to say yes and yes and yes and yes and yes the next time. Or when you say no to sin, it becomes easier to say no and no and no and no and no the next time. The good news is you can get back on course if you've failed. Lots of people have failed. Peter denied the Lord. Thomas doubted the Lord. John Mark left the missionary endeavor. David sinned. In one of the worst ways, Elisha got so discouraged, he accused the Lord. And all of these got back on track. Repentance, it creates delays. I had a teacher in school that if you failed, my electronics teacher, if you failed to do it right the first time, You had to do it again. But the only grade you could get then is a C. 
And then if you failed it the second time, you had to do it a third time. And the best you could get is a D. After that, you had to finish it. You had to complete the tests. But you failed. There was no going forward. You couldn't skip it. You couldn't get past understanding what a resistor does and a semiconductor does and a, and, a, and a capacitor does. You can't get past that and understand basic electronics. He would make you do it until you succeeded. God will get you, make us do it. Isn't it interesting that like school, if you fail, you can't go forward. And these men, while they had failed, before they repented, they couldn't go forward. Once they dealt with it, they could. This is why David eventually prays, declare Psalms 26, verses 1 and 2, declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Put me on trial, Lord. Cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. That's a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous prayer because God will take you up on that. But you know, if you pray that prayer, it'll keep you on the right track. Because God will show you things way ahead of time before the big exam comes. The blessing is when you get this right, your future looks bright. This is why some people, they are stuck. They can't seem to pass that test. And they're stuck there. There's no breakthrough. They're stuck. Why are they stuck? They won't deal with the issue that God is testing them on. Jeremiah turned to the Rechabites and he said, Hear what God says. You have obeyed the voice of your father. Your grant 300 years ago made a vow. You've obeyed it. And because of that, he says, You will never, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, will never, will always have a descendant who will serve before me. You know, there are only a few times that God promises that kind of future. In the Old Testament, that kind of statement was, your future is guaranteed. I'm going to take care of your future. I'm going to make sure you're good. David was promised that. You're always going to have a man on the throne before me. And we know that that was completed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But always have a man in this David's descendants for, for centuries, right up until Jeremiah, right here, where God says, you know, <laughs> I just can't. They're just too wicked. But he had a plan. That's given to Aaron in the priesthood. You will always have a man. Before me. Future guarantee. God will guarantee your future. Why is he testing you? Not because he's mean and just likes to torment us. 
but because he needs us to deal with things if we're going to move forward. You won't deal with things in your heart. can't go forward. Where is a lot of that testing going to come? In the house of God. Some of it will come through sermons and words and challenges. Some of that will come through the wonderful brethren you sit next to. I understand all of that. But God will test you. God will make sure you deal with this because in life, he wants to help you. Jude 1 and verse 24, Now all the glory to God who is able to keep you from falling and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. But if you read before that, he's talking about you're going to have to make some right decisions. See, God wants to help us. And I felt compelled to preach this. I really did. I, I was praying. I was like, God, you know, Sunday we've got some other things to deal with, but we're going into a new year. Going into a new time, a new a new season, a new opportunity. And God's been testing some people. And some of you are passing, and some of you are settling for a C, and some of you may need to take it again. Because God wants you to pass, you can move forward. You can move into the glorious future he has for your personal life. So the question then is, for 2023, what does God have his finger on in your life? What is he looking for you to deal with? What vow did you make, maybe even years ago, that you've let time, circumstance, and location change. And you know God's reminding of you, reminding you of that right now. I need to deal with it. I said I was going to deal, and I haven't done anything, or I, you know, I what? Let God help you. He's going to do a glorious work in your life. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. The great promise of the Rechabites is that God will test. And he will not tempt. He's not testing you with sin. God doesn't do that. As the bumper sticker said that I think is so true, lead me not into temptation. I can find that all by myself. We're good. We're easy at finding temptation. We're easy at finding sin because that's our nature. We're drawn to sin. And it's not until we're born again and get a new nature from Jesus Christ. It's not must try harder. In life, you can try hard. You can try as hard as possible. But I'll tell you, the problem with that is you're limited on your own resources and you will fail. God wants to get involved in your life. He wants you to be born again, forgive your sins, change your life. He'll make you a new person. He wants to do a miracle in your heart. And if you're here this evening, you're not right with God. You need to get your heart 
right with God. Jesus is here. He wants to help you. He'll test you. I remember coming in, my heart's pounding. I'm not I'm confused, but God is dealing with me. And I finally responded to an altar. And God touched and changed my life. He'll do it for you. Many other people in this room can say very similar things. Their circumstances, their way they got saved may be a little different, may have taken place in a car, may have taken place in a bedroom, may have taken place somewhere else, but God met with them and God wants to meet with you. And if you're here, you're not right with God, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God, but I want to get my heart right with Jesus. Anyone at all. Maybe you're backslidden, you're away from God. Just what I talked about, you were tested and you failed. Peter failed, Thomas failed, Mark failed, David failed, Elisha failed. On and on and on the list goes. But you know the glorious news is you can get it right if you'll repent. That's you. Slip up your hand. Start 2023 right. I need to get my heart right with God. Very quickly. Slip up your hand. Thank God. Anyone else? Very quickly. I want to join an honest heart. You're not right with God. You're not saved. You're not born again. Would you come find a place to pray real quick? Someone's going to pray with you. I want to change the calls of Christians. God's dealing with people about specific things. Commitments you've made. Promises you made. But you let time, you let circumstances, you let location change all that. But God hasn't forgotten it. And he put this into his word. So that you and I can get it right. Make the decision. Say, you know what? This is what I need to get right with God. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Don't just do a Catholic thing. Come, genuflect, go back to your seat. Talk to God. Let God help your life. I really believe God's going to really help us in the next year. We're going to have to deal with some things.
no turning back No turning back The cross before me The cross before